If you are ready to live grounded in a deeper sense of life's purpose, meaning, and direction, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Transform Your Life, a Unificationist podcast brought to you from our studio in Westchester County, New York, 15 miles north of New York City. We share insights and talk with knowledgeable guests on how to cultivate positive mental health and emotional well-being in the midst of cultural confusion and social unrest. And now, here are your hosts, Jack and Idris. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jack. My name is Idris and I will be your co-host today. Very good. It's great to see you, Idris. I was looking forward to this next episode too. Nice to see your face here on Zoom. Thank you. Me too. Very good. Uh, today in this episode, we're going to be exploring the question, when is the use of physical violence justified to affect political or social change? I think this is an important question in light of the protests that have been going on, not only in the United States regarding uh, police brutality and racial uh, integration and freedom, but also around the world. So with that in mind, we're going to be taking a look at the life of Nelson Mandela. He's a former president of South Africa who passed away in 2013. We're going to look at his struggle for blacks in South Africa to achieve liberation from apartheid. Now, for those who might have been a little bit young and not, don't know much about apartheid, I want to just give a quick definition of what that was. It was a system of institutionalized racial segregation that existed in South Africa from 1948 until the early 1990s. It was a government system characterized by an authoritarian political culture based on, you got to help me with this pronunciation, Baskap. It's B-A-A-S-S-K-A-P. Mm-hmm. Baskap or white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Do you know how to say that? Baskap. Okay, thank you. Uh, this government system ensured that South Africa was dominated politically, socially, and economically by the nation's minority white population. Next, we'll be taking a look at Martin Luther King's struggle for racial equality and freedom for blacks here in America during the civil rights era. Toward the end of the show, We're going to take a look at Black Lives Matter to consider whether or not its use of physical violence is justified to bring about what they claim they are seeking for here in the United States. So uh, Idris, we were talking a couple of weeks ago uh, when I was doing some research in preparation for the show, I came across a a video that uh, was recorded in March of 2017 at Harvard Law School. There was a scholarly gathering and a panel with uh, an audience, and that was to honor the legacy of Nelson Mandela's life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, it was interesting because as I watched the video, uh, before the discussion began, uh, the question that they were uh, going to to be going into was when, if ever, Mm -hmm. physical violence can be justified to bring about political and social change. So I thought before we really get into the meat of this, that we might like to frame it by focusing on several key issues that were raised at the start of the Harvard panel discussion regarding the use of physical violence. And it's in the form of some questions, which I think are really important as we look at the life of Nelson Mandela, as we look at the life of Martin Luther King, and as we look at the Black Lives Matter movement today in Mm -hmm. the 21st century. So here's some of the things they said were really important to keep in mind regarding physical violence. Who's using the violence? Mm -hmm. What is the change that's being sought after by Mm -hmm. the violence? How and why was the decision made to use the violence? Mm -hmm. What kind of violence is being used? Mm -hmm. 
who is being targeted, yeah. what events precipitated the violence, mm-hmm. what was the use of the violence a last resort to appeal to what was being sought after? In other words, was it the only option available mm-hmm. to achieve what they were seeking after? Yeah. And finally, what are the effects of the use of violence yeah. to achieve political or social ends? Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that, uh, you know, it's kind of easy to get caught up in all of the, the emotionality and the sensationalism of these protests mm-hmm. and uh, what's going on with them and whether or not the, the looting and the destruction of property. We know people have been, we talked in our last episode about this, people have been hurt, injured, even killed during these protests and a lot yeah. of property has been destroyed. Yeah. So I think uh, in, in looking at Nelson Mandela, I was, I was fascinated by the fact that uh, up until a certain period in his life, he actually was for nonviolent, peaceful protest against the government system of apartheid yeah. Yeah. It, for, for many, many years. However, Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1956, he was arrested along with 150 other people, yeah. and he was charged with treason. Yeah. They were accused of participating in a conspiracy inspired mm-hmm. by international communism mm-hmm. to overthrow the South African state. That's right. Yeah, and the trial, I, I understand the trial dragged on for four years, mm-hmm. and all of them were acquitted finally by 1961. However, mm-hmm. this arrest and trial did have an effect on Mandela's views about whether or not physical violence should be used in South Africa going forward. Up until that time, he was, he was really more into not using violence. Yeah. Then by 1960, uh, influenced by his earlier prison and other events like the Sharp, I was astounded, the Sharpville massacre, which took place. Uh, yeah, correct. Uh, do you know much about that? Can you talk a little bit about what happened there? Yeah, um, basically, it was, it was a protest, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, what happened is um, the, the government, you know, responded with maybe um, a violence to a peaceful protest, mm-hmm. okay? By, you know, I mean, six, more than 60 people uh, protested were killed in that, uh, during that peaceful protest. Mm-hmm. So I think that was actually the turning point. And, and, and additionally, the government actually banned the, the INC, the, you know. So, so then, then Mandela felt like he has no choice. He has to go underground and, mm-hmm. and fight in a different way. So he considered that he was responding to the violence by using violence. I mean, he... he um, it, cre- it was a military wing, basically, of the African National Congress. Right, yeah. Uh-huh. You know, and and there even has a name called the Spear of the Nation. Right. You know, well, do, do you know the Af- Africa, you know those spear, right? Right. Uh, you, know, you know, like warriors have those spears. So it's part of the, Afri- in the South African culture so that when somebody attacks you, so you have the responsibility to respond. This is actually um, like you have a nation, Mm-hmm. And then somebody, uh, another nation attack you, is, is that you have the respect. So Nelson Mandela and his group did not consider that as violence per se, which is going after somebody and attacking them. It was actually um, what we usually call um, uh, protecting yourself 
against aggression. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, uh, when I was reading violence, yeah. When I was reading up on this, apparently there was about seven thousand protesters who, who came came down to a police station there in that township, and yeah, yeah, uh, as yeah, you're right. Around eighty people were killed, uh, and it said one hundred and eighty nine others were injured, and that included twenty nine children. Yeah, they just they just started indiscriminately shooting in the crowd. I mean, that, yeah. Anyway, so uh, this uh, this really affected, like you said, uh, he got he. So anyway, he. He he was arrested again. Actually, he was you know acquitted for that first arrest in 1956. But he was arrested and imprisoned again in 1962, again for the charge of treason. Yes, I guess what had happened was he had traveled in 1961 throughout Europe and other parts of the world, and he was actually learning about military warfare and tactics during that exactly. time. And, and he became friend with uh, somebody who was basically uh, hated by the Western world, Fidel Castro. Uh, so he befriended Fidel at that time. He, he became, yeah, he was friend uh, with Fidel uh -huh. Castro, who was kind of supporting him. And, and then remember when he was actually doing all this, he was underground too, and uh, kind of learning some kind of guerrilla war. Um, so the, the South African government felt very threatened. They felt like he was yeah. trying to do a military coup, basically, on the government. Yeah, so, so that's, that's one of the reasons why he was actually arrested. And you know what? Uh, this information is important. Mm -hmm. Nelson Mandela was considered a terrorist by the American government until 2008. So he was on the he, he was he, he wasn't uh, on that uh, list. He was uh, on the list as a terrorist until yeah, yeah. It's interesting. You know, at that second arrest, he was given a five year a five year sentence for inciting workers to strike. Yeah, and that was in '62, and then I, I read that in '64, his sentence was increased to life imprisonment. Life sentence, yeah. For and like as you mentioned, for his anti-apartheid engagement with the African National Congress and its yeah. armed militia wing. Mm -hmm. And I understand that he, from prison, he actually was able to smuggle out notes, mm -hmm. and uh, the notes said to the effect that mm -hmm. he wanted the revolutionary wing of yeah. the ANC to make. Life for South Africans unbearable, yeah, because it, because of what they were doing through the white supremacist yeah. systematic uh, mm -hmm. government of apartheid. Yeah, here's now, something. Go ahead. Go now, ahead. Is that is that violence justified? So the question is the ethical <clears throat> question. Okay, mm -hmm. the ethical question uh, when when violence is justified. So well. Um, Basically, if you're facing violence from another person, um, it seems like it's ethical to respond with violence to be able to uh, maybe lesser that violence or protect yourself. Uh, that's one approach. Um, but my sense is those are exceptional cases. I believe Nelson Mandela was deeply a, 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 a nonviolent person because that's not how we started his movement. Mm -hmm. He started with move, his movement as a peaceful, uh, nonviolent person. But at a certain point, he was challenged and put in a corner. So uh, something came out of him uh, that, became, that became violent. And, and I think that chapter in his life was a response to what was going mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. And um, is this justified or not? Um, I will say it's, it will actually be, we will actually classify that kind of response in the area of ethic, you know, when, when, when do you feel is it necessary to, to respond to violence? 
uh, this is Nelson Mandela decision. I won't, I don't want to judge it per se, but I, mm -hmm. will, I will definitely say, you know, if you come to my house with a gun and try to, you know, kill my children, uh, my family members, or maybe uh, rape or use, uh, and then I have the possibility to defend myself, I will do it. So I will classify that in the area of self-defense. Mm -hmm. And we got to be very, very careful yeah. about the notion of violence. No, violence has to be, my de the definition of violence is actually perpetrating, um, using force to, to actually uh, to be aggressive towards someone else who is vulnerable. Well, okay? yeah, I think and, it goes, I'm sorry, go ahead. And, and uh, remember, remember when, uh, war, I mean, World War II, you know, the American, Americans actually uh, bombed, uh, you know, uh, 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 no, um, the Japan, atom bomb, right? yeah, Japan, yeah. It, it was violent. And, <clears throat> and even the, the consequences, you know, up uh -huh. to the day, some people are still dealing with the consequences. But this contributed to end World War II. Now, yeah. can we use violence to reduce violence? I think that's exactly what the government does. Well, well, why, why that structural is called structural violence? Mm -hmm. Why the structural violence should be tolerated and accepted as something normal when somebody wants to defend himself should not be okay? This is the, before we even say, was, was, is violence justified? Is violence okay? We have to understand who's doing the violence and why the other person responded. So it's contextual. Mm -hmm, yeah, contextual. well, I think, yeah. yeah. I think it goes, it addresses, your, your, your comments here address three of the, uh, the key issues that we talked about in the beginning to frame it. Yeah. Uh, who's being targeted? Yeah. What events precipitated the violence? Yeah. And I think most important here right now in the context of what you're discussing right here, mm -hmm. was the use of violence the last resort to appeal to yeah. what was being sought after. That's the contextualization you're talking about, right? Yes, exactly. Now, here's something at the trial. Here's something interesting Mandela said about mm -hmm. the use of violence at his trial in 1962. I quote, yeah. I do not deny that I planned sabotage. I did not plan it in a spirit of recklessness, nor because I have any love of violence. Mm -hmm. I planned it as a result of a calm and sober assessment of the political situation that had, aris had arisen after years of tyranny, exploitation, and oppression of my people by whites. Yeah. The ANC, so, so uh, end quote. So that's the contextualization. Yeah. And I think it supports what you just said. Exactly. So I think that's, that's uh, so really, you know, what events precipitated the violence and was the use of violence the last resort to appeal yeah. To exactly. what was being sought after. So Nelson Mandela was saying, yes, this was, this was the last resort yeah. that he, was, yeah. he had exactly. at his disposal in light of the context of what he was trying to do and what the government was doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and again, we, we, got, we also have to, you know, we have to look at, let's go from, um, the, you know, a personal level. You know, when people use violence, they want to actually achieve something um, that probably they think they cannot achieve by, by, with dialogue and, and, and uh, in a peaceful way. But in reality, you know, 
a lot of things can be achieved by you know using dialogue but sometimes it depends on who you're facing if the person you're facing this decide to use violence against you because you're asking some kind of for justice or some kind of change basically i will use the word change which is more relevant then um the condition is set for for self-defense yeah and i think that goes back to the context of what the black South Africans were dealing with under apartheid. Once again, it said the system assured that South Africa was dominated politically, socially, and economically by the nation's minority white population. Exactly. So, I mean, there's basically, they can't do, according to the actual government parameters set up, the black South Africans Mm-hmm. were set up to be dominated politically, socially, and economically by a minority yeah. white group of people. Exactly. So that's and, like... And they didn't even have the right to vote. Or, well, to do no. anything. Yeah. So that means the only reason why Nelson Mandela later become, became the president is because the president who was there, Frederick Gekler, actually right. was able to work with him to actually change the law, it was part of it was in the constitution that black people can vote, you know, and so that and then they can go to the same schools, you know, the kids can go, so they can't even ma- intermarry. Right. A white person can't marry a black person. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so all these uh, elements are really, um, you know, was it was not correct. It was not right. So. Uh, and I agree, things like that should be challenged um, to make, to actually uh, bring a better society. Um, but, you know, it can happen through negotiation, peace, through peace, through, um, you, know, you know, all kind of uh, nonviolent mode. Mm-hmm. But if that is happening and then the government use violence, then the government itself create a condition for vi- to, to, to get back on them. So that's the problem. Yeah, you know, you, yeah. yeah. Right, that's true. You, you mentioned uh, a little bit ago about uh, the U.S. putting uh, Mandela on a terrorist list. I, I did, yeah. as I was reading up on what yeah. the ANC was doing, apparently during the 80s, uh, the ANC arguing was linked to several high-profile bombings that killed South yeah. African civilians. Mm-hmm. And, and this prompted some in, in the country, as well as around the world, to peg him as a terrorist. So yeah, exactly. uh, it's, un- it's just like, it's, it's like, you know, it's unfortunate. It, it's a very, very, very unfortunate. Yeah. Now, she we say, well, if Nelson Mandela did not use violence that time, would he be able to achieve what he achieved in his life? That's the question we should be asking ourselves. Uh-huh. And I would mm. say maybe not. Mm. You know, because the incident that led him to prison is the same incident that created a foundation for him to become who he was. Mm-hmm. For a certain point, a man has to stand and say no. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting also that I, I didn't know this, but uh, he, you know, he, he was given a life sentence. He, he, he did get out after, uh, after de Klerk uh, came, into, came into power after the mm-hmm. former president had a stroke, a P.W. Yeah. Bota. Mm-hmm. But he was offered to get out in 1985. Yeah. And uh, he, but, but it was on the condition that he renunciate the use of violence as a means to solving the country's racial problems. And yeah. he, he declined the offer at that yeah. time. So he, yeah. 
And and uh, the and the reason for that is it wasn't really the the main point. The main point was give up on your idea of changing the country, mm -hmm. uh, social uh, disparity, the social injustice. Mm -hmm. That was the main thing about it. Mm -hmm. So he said his his fight is to change, you know, and he's ready to use all kind of means to make things different. But mm -hmm. he will depend on the government. If the government want to go through negotiation, it will happen. Mm -hmm. you know, that's why when he became president himself, he could use force and, um, and all kinds of means to actually get back on them. But he said, no, what I fought for was the peaceful way to solve problems. Mm -hmm. So even when I have, because when you have power, it's not easy to be nonviolent. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's easy to be nonviolent when you don't have power. <laughs> but when you yeah. have power, it's very hard. So yeah. what make Mandela great and what make me feel like he actually work on himself very deeply to actually develop some kind of self-control uh, self, um, uh, was the fact that when he became president and he has the power to actually uh, do whatever he want to do and he, and he was the majority, so that means could, they could do anything they want to do. But he still decided mm -hmm. to actually embrace the minorities at that time so that we can have a dialogue and forgiveness um, um, you know process so everybody can feel like part of the same society so what he fought for that's what he did when he had power yeah I mean so it's what, amazing that's what gave him credibility and you think about 27 years in prison really as far as I'm concerned it was you know ultimately it was unjust exactly. but for him to come out and to want to reconcile and work together with uh, other parties and other races to help achieve a true democratic constitution in South Africa is pretty amazing. That's it. Yeah, his autobiography came out in 1994 called The Long Walk to Freedom. I know you told me earlier when we were talking that uh, you had read that many years ago. Mm -hmm. Do you re recall any stories or lessons learned in his autobiography about... Yeah, um, you know, from a long time ago. I did read yeah. that a mm -hmm. long time ago. But, um, you know, there is there's something that I... Um, you know, when, when Nelson Mandela gave his speech, and I mean, after he, got, he was elected, and a lot of young people, I see a lot of black people, they came with um, all kind of uh, arms and things like that. In their mind, they thought that Mandela was going to tell them now that we have power, we have to actually take revenge or get back on those people. Mm -hmm. Mandela told them, just throw all your arm in the, in the, in the sea, and that's it. Mm. You know, there is no way. And people were like, responded very hardly. It was hard for them to respond to that because that was not the expectation for, mo for most of them. You know, and I think it was, it was one of the most powerful for me, one of the most powerful response to a crowd. Because you know what? When you have a crowd coming and they believe in you and expecting you to say something, you know, yeah. and then you come in, you tell them completely something completely different what they're not expecting, you're putting your own life at risk. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. So Mandela was able to put his own life at risk so that, you know, they can have, we can have peace in South Africa. Even though they, that's, that was a memorable moment for me, the way he addressed it, he addressed the, uh, the, the crowd. Who, the crowd was so excited. So, like, you know, let's go after them. We are waiting to mint for money. Because they were waiting from, you know, for, from Mandela 
um, you know, that the time where he was like a, the, the, you know, the, 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 the leader of the gang, you know, the, let's, let's go, the, the, let's go after them and then let's make things happen. But he has power that time and he can do anything he wants. And then Mandela actually just like hit them to the right place and say, just take your, you know, your weapons, everything that you have, just throw it in the sea and let's come sit down and then uh, make peace and mm -hmm. uh, reconciliation. That's pretty amazing. So uh, I'd like to uh, conclude this uh, section regarding uh, Nelson Mandela of mm -hmm. our talk. Now, I think I heard you, well, you raised the question, and this, this gets to uh, the framing of the discussion. The last point that, uh, of, uh, that was mentioned at, at Harvard during that uh, legacy meeting with, for Nelson Mandela was, what are the effects in the use of violence to achieve political or social change? So um, you asked if, if he had not used violence, would he have been able to become the person he was and would he have been able to achieve the changes in South Africa? I, I, I know that South Africa has a, a lot of challenges today in 2020. There's, there's a lot of economic disparity, especially with housing. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of issues. So some, some people say that the way in which Nelson Mandela used the violence, that there are some residual effects still within South Africa yeah. regarding the, the, the feelings between uh, different groups of people. So what is, what is your, so I think I, I, when I, when I think about it mm -hmm. within the, so we're, we're talking about like uh, what events precipitated the use of the violence? Mm -hmm. Was it a resort? Was it a resort, a last resort to the appeal for what was sought after? Yeah. It seems to me in the case of South Africa, mm -hmm. I would have to lean more towards it was justified. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that would be my response too. Uh -huh. um, because there were people killed, a lot of people wounded. Um, and that, that, that was not right. Um, uh, so in, in the context is pretty clear that that was not okay. Now, uh, moving back to your, to your, uh, the question that you raised earlier, uh -huh. um, that the situation, the context today, what is happening today? Remember that Nelson Mandela only did only one term. Right. And after one term, Nelson Mandela's main point about becoming a president was not about um, just resolving the whole social disparity, the economic issue. It was mm -hmm. about reconciliation. Mm -hmm. That's where his focus was. I see. Huh? So it was not focusing. It takes like it can take decades to actually resolve yeah, right. uh, economic disparity. It's, it's a long-term process, you know. So that's, that's why the people who came after Mandela were supposed to actually work out those disparate social economic disparities. You know, Mandela did his part. It is only one term and then left. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was a Nobel Peace Prize in 1993 for that reason. You know, it was not, it was, it was not a person who um, was coming to necessarily uh, create an economic boom, actually. Right. That okay. was not his, his that, that's not Mandela. Mandela was, mm -hmm. was fighting for something unique. Yeah. People need to understand that, you know, you know, the next, the next president 
now as the issue was solved uh, mm -hmm. legally solved mm -hmm. and then the opportunity was there the next president and the following president that that, that was their responsibility actually to to rebuild the nation the nation based on those disparities so that's i will still give him credit for that mm, sure yeah i think yeah that's that's a good point yeah. i i think all, for me the 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 reason i lean i tilt more towards the violence which was employed by the ANC armed wing, particularly during the 1980s, which was really horrific, is because the way the government was set up, and we're going to see the difference between that and the conditions of the government that Dr. King was working under in terms of what was possible and what was not. The way that apartheid was set up, yeah. a rule by a minority yeah. white population over the majority black population yeah. with no possible way for recourse for yeah. anything. That's why I tend to tilt more towards maybe, unfortunately, but maybe there wasn't, in this case, there wasn't really any other way yeah. to, that, that he felt he could affect any change. Yeah. That, that, that horrendous and like mm -hmm. vulgar mm -hmm institutional system of apartheid government. Yeah, that's correct. That's definitely correct. And, and another part of, of, about violence that we need to understand too mm. is, um, you know, sometimes, you know, the, the reason why um, the government has to use violence sometimes is to protect the vulnerable. Okay. Mm -hmm. so let's say if you, the government has more power, right? Right. If, uh, if you know there's let's say that's the role of the police basically if if there is two group you know two people fighting the police will come and then try to actually use violence to to actually you know stop that if like two groups two gangs two people are trying to kill one another the police will come with a bigger with a stronger power to to stop that in that case violence also can be justified mm -hmm. okay let's say there is actually a a resolution at the united nation uh, I think it was actually they, they came after the the um, the genocide in uh, Rwanda mm -hmm. because the United Nations was in Rwanda and when the Tutsi and the Hutu start killing one another, uh, they say, well, uh, because every nation, every state has sovereignty, so they left this. They left based on that law, and mm -hmm. that resulted to a genocide. I mm -hmm. think there was a moral. There was a moral issue with that. It's, it's not morally correct. Mm -hmm. So after that, I think the United Nations realized that they have to take a resolution to actually protect, uh, you know, the vulnerable. And also when two groups are trying to actually, you know, create and, and kill each other and create some kind of genocide, then they will have to intervene to mm -hmm. stop that. Yeah. So this resolution uh, is actually become effective after that. So whenever in a state, there are actually two ethnic groups or two political groups who are armed and coming after each other. There will be another higher force that can come and actually try to stop that and also protect the vulnerable, keep children mm. and, and non-combatant yeah. and uh, women. So that's, that's, that's a collect, it's called the collective responsibility. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? So yeah. that's, an important, that's a just, just also just something that we can justify about violence. The only problem with violence Mm -hmm. Is when uh, I, I, you know, people use their anger to achieve what they, you know, they can't control themselves because they're angry. 
Mm-hmm. About what what happening around them, and they want to use that anger to achieve mm-hmm. uh, some kind of means. Um, yeah. That, then that become a problem. Mm. Yeah, and I think this is something. Uh, I think it's a good time to transition over into Dr. King's life and his work, because this was something that was very much on his mind yeah. and his heart as he sought for human dignity mm-hmm. and human rights for Black Africans and Black people in the United States and for all people. So. Uh, Again, for those who uh, may be on the younger side on our listening audience, I'd like to give a little bit of historical background about Dr. King's life, you know, very short before we start talking about uh, some of the things that he did and the principles he operated from mm-hmm. and the conditions that he operated in regarding whether or not he ultimately felt that violence was, was a last resort and an only last resort that he could use mm-hmm. to achieve the ends of the civil rights movement. So he was an African-American minister and an activist who became the most visible spokesperson and leader in the civil rights movement from 1955 until he was assassinated Mm -hmm. in 1968. He's best known for advancing civil rights through nonviolence and civil disobedience. Inspired by his Christian beliefs and the nonviolent activism of Mahatma Gandhi. Dr. King was imprisoned nearly 30 times during his fight for human rights and dignity for African Americans, mm-hmm. and for that matter, for all Americans. Mm-hmm. One important element that, that Son Mandela, um, I'm sorry, um, Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. actually uh, presented, you know, you got to be courageous to be nonviolent. It's right. not just something that is just happening, you know. Mm-hmm. You have to have deep courage uh, because... Um, you, you, you have to be spiritually strong. You have mm-hmm. to be spiritually and emotionally strong. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't just happen. This is something that you work on over and over and over again. You know, and, and, and again, you know, the, the people that you are, you are trying to work with, who are trying to use, you know, nonviolence to work, they're not your enemies. That's very important for Martin Luther King Jr. They're not your enemies. They, right. they, you want to win them, actually. So you want to create some, some situation where um, understanding can happen. So, so that's, that's, that's very important. And, and again, it's not about people. <laughs> so a lot of times people think like, well, they, when they think then we're seeking justice, it's about people. No, uh, nonviolence actually want to actually uh, dismantle the injustice, not people. It's not directed toward individuals. You know, it's not like, oh, I don't like the president or I don't like, it's, it's, it's the system that is being actually, um, you know, challenged. And, and one thing people need to remember, you can be arrested, as he said in the speech earlier, you can be arrested and put in jail and there's a tremendous suffering when you arrested and put in jail or, or beaten. So there is strong, and, and, um, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. doesn't see suffering as a problem. He sees pr- suffering as something that can transform you and even make you somebody who's actually better. So the fact that you are, you know, being, you are arrested and put in jail can actually help you grow and mature and transform and become more enlightened, actually. And, uh, and those are important, you know. It's not about hate. It's not about hate. It's about love. You know, nonviolence about law is not about hate. You're not trying to hate anybody. 
You're trying, right. to, you're trying to love people. That's, those are essential elements people need to remember. You know, and, and, and justice here, um, it's not about everything is perfect, perfectly fine, there's no problem. It's about, you know what, um, can we actually solve a problem? Okay, mm-hmm. that's the issue. It's not, it's not saying everybody should be like, okay, we're gonna, take America, we're gonna take money and distribute it to everybody in America equally. That's not what we're talking about. The way we're talking about is can we solve this problem together? Mm-hmm. You know, that's the mindset uh, about nonviolence. Let's solve the problem together. And, and I think this is very powerful. So, you know, that's probably why I deeply, deeply love um, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. You know, it's, it's, this is so powerful. I think that's a good, uh, a good transition into the uh, final part of our discussion tonight. And that is taking a look at the Black Lives Matter movement right now. And, uh, you know, just a reminder for our audience and ourselves, Idris, you and me, uh, we want to take, we want to ask what what, what, uh, events precipitated the violence. In the case of Black Lives Matter, actually, they formed in 2013, but the most recent violence amongst their protests was was because of the George George Floyd killing back on May 25th. So that really precipitated the protests. And eventually those actually sort of... uh, morphed into uh, the use of physical violence beyond the peaceful protests. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one thing. And that's uh, who's being targeted, or in this case, what's being targeted? Well, they've been targeting uh, federal buildings. They've been targeting uh, historical mm-hmm. statues. And they've been targeting, uh, in some cases, uh, businesses and even homes near those businesses in different cities. Yeah. And then uh, I think perhaps uh, one of the uh, biggest framing questions to ask in regards to the... Uh, Black Lives Matter uh, using physical violence uh, is that whether or not this use of their violence is a last resort to appeal to what they're seeking after. Yeah, I mean, honestly speaking, uh, by looking at the situation, Mm -hmm. well, there are are two arguments here. Uh, One of them is uh, mostly people who are Black Lives Matter are not violent. They're not using violence and destroying things. There are other people who are coming and then destroying the image of Black Lives Matter. That's the argument from Black Lives Matter. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Well, I can give credit to that. You always find some kind of, uh, you know, weird people who, who can actually destroy what you're trying to do. But reality, if you look at deeply, the reason why this is happening is because, um, <clears throat> the you know, we don't have... We don't have a Martin Luther King Jr. who's leading this. Okay. I don't know. We, I don't know who's leading it actually. Yeah, I don't even know myself. I'm not sure. Because we need an elder. Mm. Because in African tradition, we call people like that elders. Mm-hmm. So people who actually were able to transform their pain into sacred gift to heal others. That's a very interesting perspective and uh yeah so go ahead continue so when you don't have elder in the midst of people who are insecure you know scared um you know and angry then you're gonna sooner or later get into that kind of chaos Mm. you need someone who's an elder who can be like a magnet to actually attract to take all to actually um you know, um, you know, transform even actually, you know, masters all the 
anger and frustration around so that the movement can actually take root and then make some actually changes in society. Because if, we don't, if you don't have an elder, then you are left with a bunch of you know, immature people who will definitely get into that kind of situation. Yeah, it, it brings up, uh, it just re- reminds me of a video I recently saw, eight-minute video. I don't, I don't know who the guy is. I, I forgot his name, but he was giving an analysis of the, the, those, you know, whether they're a minority bunch or whatever, yeah. those who are branching off from the peaceful protesters and causing the violence. Yeah. And he said that uh, if you actually look closely at these people, what you're going to find is that they all have a problem with their, they have, he calls it daddy issues. Yeah. They actually have a problem with the authority figure of their father. Mm-hmm. So if, if uh, you know, that's, that's, that's his perspective, it can be debated and argued whether or not that's true. Mm-hmm. But he also mentioned that two of the females who were uh, involved in the, of the Black Lives Matter movement are, have admitted uh, in the interviews that they're trained Marxists and that yeah. they believe that using violence as a means to an end is, uh, is justified. You know, in the context of of what Black Lives Matter is trying to achieve, so but I think the idea that so I think you're right. Like if you get a bunch of young people together yeah. and they haven't processed their pain properly, and uh, and they they say they've had issues with their father or their mother, but in this case their father, and they actually yeah, maybe hate their father. They maybe yeah, resent their it, father. Yeah, we call it father wounds. Yeah. So, uh, and they, they get together in an environment where there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of emotion and a lot of, you know, a lot of feelings about things. Then, uh, so I, I, that can really be a recipe for some very difficult situations, which I think we're, we're seeing that this has played itself out, actually. So, so my, 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 my concern is, you know, these, these the Black Lives Matter people, I mean, people who are responsible for Black Lives Matter need to actually uh, try to connect with some spiritual people, people mm-hmm. who are, spirit- some elders who in America who are spiritually grounded. Yeah. Okay. Because this will create a balance, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it will actually create a better approach to the situation and then the better result even. Uh, because, I mean, you know, violence against violence basically you know where it's heading it's heading toward chaos but the main point as i shared earlier the main point about using violence is not about destroying it's about transforming so yeah so i for myself i i think those are all good points and uh i would say in the context of what the people in black lives matter would like to achieve in its highest uh worthy aspect, which is racial equality and an end to uh, police bias and police brutality on minority groups. Some of the other things like defunding police and doing away with, you know, uh, money for self-defense in schools and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You know, these things are, you know, kind of debated and you can argue depending on what political side you're on. But I would say that it's really in the context of, of what they have available yeah. to try to achieve their ends, c- assuming that their ends are for the, in the best interest of America and yeah. all of Americans, mm-hmm. then they're, they're n- they nowhere near can compare 
to the difficulty that Martin Luther King had or, or Nelson Mandela had yeah. to make the decision mm-hmm. to use violence to achieve their end. So I would, I would lean more in this case that violence being used by the Black Lives Matter movement is, is, is not a good idea and it's not going to be able to achieve for them yeah. the outcomes they hope for. Yeah, it's not, you cannot, you know, you cannot justify it, okay? Because what happened with George Floyd, um, you know, maybe, you know, um, the, what happened with George Floyd was an incident. The, per, the people who, uh, you know, did that were arrested and they're facing uh, justice. And yeah, of course, this is just like a tip of the iceberg. There are more issues that need to be uh, solved, um, like the uh, economic, you know, and social disparity mm-hmm. between, right. uh, and then yeah. all the problems facing the black community in America. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's true. Nobody can deny the fact that this is happening. Right. But my question to, um, to the Black Lives Matter movement, by, is that going to happen by using violence? I don't think so. Uh, I don't think so. I, I think uh, we will have to work collaboratively <clears throat> uh, with uh, with all the, par- the the parties who are involved into that change because I I think every single person maybe I know maybe some people don't maybe maybe a minority doesn't feel like it's necessary but most people that I spoke with, I've, I've spoken with black or white feel like there's something that needs to be done to actually resolve the poverty level and the injustice in the in the um, in the uh, justice system um, you know and the, all the, the you know that the black the black American are facing in America so something need to be done how to do it that's where the disagreement mm-hmm. yeah. you know and, and, and I'm sure if uh, in every local cities and state um, government government state and cities and, and counties, you know, the black community get more involved, then something will start changing. That's, that's my understanding of the situation. Mm-hmm. So, of course, here and there, there can be protests to actually, um, you know, try to address one specific issue, but that's not the only way. Right. Yeah, that's not the only way. Yeah. Okay, well, we've, uh, I feel like we could go on, but uh, we've come to uh, the clock, and the clock is telling us that our show needs to come to an end. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Idris, I, I've, uh, it's been a very good uh, discussion with you today. I hope our listeners are able to take away some things through our discussion. And uh, we're looking forward to our next episode for next week. So let's sign off together. Until next time, everybody. Thank you. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe so you can be notified about any upcoming episodes. And please take a moment to leave a positive review on iTunes or wherever you're listening and share it with your friends. Be sure to check out the archive section on our website, transformyourlifepodcast.com, for previous podcasts. And check us out on Facebook and Twitter too, at Transform Your Life Podcast. Join us next time for another edition of Transform Your Life, a Unificationist Podcast. This has been a PR web design production. Thanks so much for listening.